to remember the night that I lost Ori to the great storm. A loud and omnipotent voice booms as we watch a white illuminated feather fall from a tree and be carried away by a gust of wind. As gravity slowly starts to overtake the feather, a creature named Naru follows it. Naru finds a newborn spirit named Ori, and she begins to raise it as her own. This is the start of a two-part story that spans over two games. Before we break into the special Chomping After Dark episode, let's get into some quick intros. We have the one, the only, Mr. I ran all of the races in one try, Joshua Fowler. <laughs> Hello. And we have me, Shay. We will be the only two that will be here today, as Rich has not finished The Will of the Wisps, and Morgan was busy playing other games. But that just means more for Josh and me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're going to go over Ori and the Blind Forest first, and after that we will go straight into Ori and the Will of the Wisps. We will break them into two episodes to create an obvious separation between the two. And, as always, I like to point out with these shows, there will be spoilers. There will be spoilers. All right. Now that that's out of the way, we've got the admin stuff out of the way. Let's get back into the story. We're going to go right into it today. Shortly after Naru adopts Ori, a cataclysmic event occurs that causes the forest they live in to wilt, and Naru dies of starvation. Ori is then left to fend for itself. After it collapses near the spirit tree from which it came, a blue glowing being named Sane comes down from the tree to help Ori through the forest in an effort to restore the trees and creatures. Sane tells Ori that in order to restore the order to the forest, Ori must recover the light of the three elements that govern Nebel. Waters, winds, and warmth. So Josh, that intro, <laughs> that intro. Oh, goodness. Yeah. All the Man, feels. It is, yeah, all of the feels, that, dude. That, that... Yeah, I know that that is one of the just it doesn't seem like it should be as affecting as it is considering you start off as a leaf and then it's it's yeah it's 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 crazy how well they're able to to make you care about this person that you're going to go save um, or attempt yeah. to go save it's kind of you know it's it's the um, s sort of like the uh, um, Shadow of the Colossus thing. Like, oh, we, we've we've got to save the forest. We've got to see if we can save, you know, our our, our old old caretaker. But uh, yeah, dude, oh. 
Yeah, they, they just needed 10 minutes. That's all they needed was 10 minutes to make everyone who ever plays this game to care about a creature. They didn't know 10 minutes prior. They just needed 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. That's what's crazy to me about this. Um, would you say that this is one of your top 10 all-time gaming intros? Ooh, I've not listed them in 10. It's It's got to be up there, though. Um, yeah. It's probably in the top ten, but I've not I've not specifically made that list. To yeah, there's there's going to be some competition there because gaming intros sure. I feel have a lot. Generally, generally a lot more skill behind them than gaming endings, um, and I, I think we've talked I about this so. before on the show. But um, yeah, a lot of games you know understand that whole we've got to get you into this right away thing um so there's there's a lot of competition but this is still just expertly done just so good um for sure i think about like some of the great the greatest gaming intros of all time are some of the ones that have been most memorable to me memorable to me like um bioshock is one of those Mm -hmm. games that i will forever remember because of its intro or uh dead space or Hellblade. Yeah. You know, those are oh my some, just that, some of the ones that come to the top of my brain. Yeah. 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 Oh, good. But this Hellblade, one, man, we'll like... distracted on that, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, we will. We will. But for me, I... I've, I the, the intro to this game reminds me a lot of how I felt when I went and saw the movie Up for the first time in the movie theaters. It's very yeah. whimsical and it slowly just draws you into this world. And then you're, they give you this expertly done montage where you are just witnessing the love and care for these two creatures. And then mm-hmm. suddenly tragedy strikes. And then the, the person who is left or the creature who is left has to navigate this world. Yeah. And to to me, like they're they're very similar in that regards, but obviously there is a ton of difference there. But it just it's amazing to me, like I said, that they manage in this intro to just make you care about Saru or sorry, Naru and Ori within ten minutes. That's all it takes. That, yeah. And it's even less so than that, to be honest with you. But you you are immediately drawn into the story, and you're like, all right, whatever is going to happen next, Ori's going to fucking save mm-hmm. Nadu, and there's no stories about it. Like, there's no two ways about it. This is what's happening. I'm going to make it happen. That's that. And yeah, exactly. it's just am- Which they amazing. Just get you to crying me. right off the bat. You're like, yeah, yeah. They they knew what they were doing with this intro. That's what I'll, that's what I'll say there, and they did it very well. So to me, to mm-hmm. me as of right now, like you, I have I've never made a top ten list, but I think that it would vie for a spot in that top yeah. ten list if I were to ever sit down and make a list, for sure. All right, let's get back into the story. So as Ori and Sane are moving through the forest, they come across Gumo, the last surviving member of the Gumon clan, who are all decimated by the cataclysmic event um, that occurs earlier in the game. Gumo's home supports the wind element. 
they also come across Kudo, a giant owl who is angry at Ori. I've liked, I like how I'm randomly switching back and forth between English and Japanese pronunciations of these names. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an accident, but that's just, that's my daily life happening there. Like sometimes I'm speaking in Japanese and sometimes I'm speaking in English. So it's my fault. Yeah. I'll try and I mean, keep it consistent from. I mean, I think it's fairly obvious that they were Japanese names, but yeah, the rest of the story is not told that way, so. Yeah, I'll I'll try and remember to do all English pronunciations. That way it's uh, easy for Morgan to listen and understand. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they also come across Kuro, a giant owl who is angry at Ori. Gumo steals the key for the water element but he returns it shortly after Ori saves him from a rock slide. After Ori and Sane recover the wind element, they come across Kuro's nest, which contains a single egg. As they enter the nest, they learn the source of the cataclysm and Kuro's hostility. When Ori was lost, the spirit tree released a flash of light to look for it which accidentally killed all of Kuro's recently hatched offspring. In retaliation, and to prevent the death of her unborn child, Kuro steals the core at the top of the spirit tree, which turns out to be sane. If the tree doesn't have its core, then it cannot sustain the three elements, which causes Nebel to lose all balance. It's at this point that we learn Kuro's tragic story and the unfortunate circumstances. As I was writing this, Josh, I and I was reflecting as I was writing, it prompted an interesting moral quandary in me that I wanted to run by you. So, who do you think is the most at fault here between the spirit tree and Kuro, and why? Hmm... I don't know. It's that's a tough one because it doesn't seem like it's weird. Like the the tree seems to have a lot of power, but not really be able to actualize it in any way without someone right. doing. Doesn't have like complete control over what it's doing. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's it's hard to. It, it seems like a tree, like actually a tree, which is kind of you know. Um, Hard to really say Parts the tree out, could be yeah. at fault. So yeah. I mean, I I don't know. I think it reads less as like someone being wrong as much as just lashing out. Um, and I mean, when for that, that ma- reason, it, I think when, I think I think that puts if, Kuro at fault. But it's kind of it. They do a really good job murky. of it's it's murky. Yeah, of of, of trying to. Uh, I mean, they're animals, but like trying to get you in the head of these characters of, you know, seeing that, yeah. you know, there's, there's a reason for why, why they're acting the way they are. For sure. Yeah. And it's interesting. You you made a, you made a statement that's interesting to me. You said that, you know, the spirit tree was lashing out and that's kind of what I thought here as I was writing this, because I didn't, I didn't really think about it as much when I played it, but now that I've thought about it and I've 
recent, very recently played it and I'm removed from it, I kind of was, I was thinking like, well, yeah, I think the spirit tree definitely has some level of fault here because granted, we don't know at this point, at least in the story, the degree of importance that these spirits play in this world, in this universe, we don't know. And yeah, all we have to base off of this is basically um, the spirit tree lost a spirit and it got angry and <laughs> it caused an event um, or it didn't cause an event. It, you know, it took an action that basically killed a bunch of creatures, creatures that had nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. And whether or not well, we know, because it's kind of ambiguous at this point that we don't, we don't know whether the spirit tree can or cannot entirely control its powers, why yeah. it directed its powers, or if it can even direct its powers. We just know that creatures died because it lost someone and responded. Yeah, yeah, and it was hard because, I mean, like, it does, it starts with the whole storm there. So it's like almost, it's just like the the damage happened and um, it's, it seems almost like an automated response almost, but it's, it's hard to say because, again, the tree is narrating at the beginning. Um, so it's, you know... Obviously, gives it some some level of awareness there of of you know what's happening, whether or not it has control of it. We still don't really. That's never really touched on. Um, right, right. And I think I think in order for us to make a definitive statement on that, we kind of need to know that. Um, but I think we can always hypothesize in these kind of circumstances. Obviously, if the tree, if it was just like an automated response, quote unquote as a part of its like genetic makeup, its instinct, it's, you know, it's being like part of its foundational makeup, so to speak, then sure. We can't really fault the tree at that. If that's like an automated instinctual response, that, that's just an unfortunate response at that point. And Kumo's offspring happened to be in the line of fire at that instinctual response. Like there's no control there. Mm-hmm. But I think this was purposefully left ambiguous for this kind of conversation that we're having to happen, because if the tree did have some control over that, then absolutely the spirit tree should be held accountable for that. But of course, obviously, Kumo should, too. I mean, think I think that's the point is when you first play this, you're like, oh, that owl is... um is bad that owl's the bad guy that owl mm-hmm. did something wrong and we need to point our finger but then you think about what the spirit tree did and you're like well was the owl wrong was kumo wrong and then you th- and you think about that on a little bit of a deeper level yeah i, I don't know i think i think i don't know at least in, in my head it seems more like just with the metaphors they've been using in the rest of the game that the tree just is the way it is. Um, and even yeah. if it's aware yeah, of how so. it is, it has, there, it seems like there's no ability to like there. Nothing can be changed. It just, it is. Um, so, 
it, at least yeah, I don't know that kind of it seems to be the way of basically everything else going on um I think so and I think I think you're more you're more right along the lines of what the developers were going for because and this isn't giving too much away as we learn and it's a clear metaphor the spirit tree is kind of the essence of this area of this game is basically quote unquote the tree of life is what we're analyzing here and i don't think that the tree of life was like well i'm going to select that these owls are gonna die because i lost one spirit obviously i don't think there is nefarious intent there um and i think you're i think you're much closer to what the developers were going for but it's just an interesting moral quandary that if the tree had some level of sentience and it they and it or they made the choice to, <laughs> to retaliate yeah. and those b- baby owls um were in the line of flat in the line of fire then is is the tree of life what 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 does that in imply for the tree yeah, of it's, life? Yeah, it's it's a very strange it is strange again because like the narration starts out as the tree, which is in all other respects just a metaphor for nature. Like it's, I mean, you mentioned mentioned you know the Japanese names. It the tree seems an awful lot like you know just the guardian spirit of an area. Just so much like that. It's like there's there's not so much by way of sentience there as as just that's you know anything that happens there kind of happened because you burned it on yourself. Um, right. Sort of a thing. But then again, the tree talks. So, um, yeah, exactly. And again, it's unclear at this point because anyone who's played throughout both of these games is going to know a lot more information from this mm-hmm. point on. But it's important to remember at this point in the game, we don't know why the tree is talking. We don't understand what level of sentience this tree has. So when you analyze it at that level, you're like, okay, yeah, we don't, we really don't know. <laughs> and so we're left mm-hmm. with the question we're discussing, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think, I think at the end of the day, if I were to just break it down simply, I think I'm more along the lines of that. It just was an unfortunate accident. What happened um, to the, the baby owls and, Kudo was in her right to be angry at the tree because the tree, she's like, what the hell? Why me? Why my children? (laughs) Like, what did I do? You know? And so I think, I think it's hard to say that one is at fault more the other, one is more at fault than the other, or neither are at fault. You know, it's, it's hard to really Um, think about it. I I just think that. Yeah, I mean, I think that the issue is less that initial thing than the response to it that Kuro has. With, uh, just because it, yeah. it, an awful lot... Again, it's muddied because the tree talks, but it'd be like, you know, getting mad, you know, at the clouds because, you know, yeah. one of your kids was hit by lightning. Like, what good is it going to do? It doesn't... It doesn't matter if you're mad or not. It has the clouds don't care. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I, I think I think about it like to take it a step further. What you're talking about, I think that 
definitely again it's hard for me to say this but in the moment i feel right now i feel like kuro is probably has a little bit more responsibility to bear because she takes the spirit at the top sane and she knows that is mm-hmm. like the, a part of the giving of life to all creatures in this forest and it's yeah. almost as if she's saying if i'm going to suffer everyone else is going to feel the level of suffering that I have just felt that I didn't deserve. Mm -hmm. And I feel like at that moment, you know, and the moments in the game, and I think visually they do such a good way of representing this as well with Kuro's eyes is that she sees nothing except rage and loss and vengeance. And she can't see clearly. And I think that is a very, very um, realistic realistic response to something like this happening you lose a bunch of your children in a death and you see something whether or not we know at this point it has sentience it's kind of indistinguishable at this point but you see something cause the death of your loved ones you're gonna go after it i mean like if Mm -hmm. if i had a child and um someone was driving a ford vehicle and the brakes stopped working on that vehicle and it clipped my child and killed the child. I know this is very, very graphic, sad thing to think about it, but this vehicle a week or two later is revealed that the brake pads suddenly go out on this, this make and model of vehicles in this year. I'm going to go after Ford. Of course, I'm going to sue them because I'm going to be like, you caused this and I'm not going to see it logically as like, maybe, well, you know, it's not the car's fault. I'm going to see it as, I need to get vengeance, you know, and I I need this. Th- there needs to be justice. And I see that as how Kuro responds accordingly. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause Kuro is obviously ascribing a lot more intention to the tree than, you know, all, all intention. Essentially it's, it's like, um, I don't know if you're a, I don't think you're a dog owner now, but at at some point, if you were, I'm sure you've noticed this, that dogs just assume you intend to do everything that you do. I don't, like, if you accidentally step yeah. on them, like, you you know, get the end of the, <laughs> the tail or something. The look of they hurt look in at their you. eyes as they look at you. I like... know, like, you just stepped on me and you fucking meant it. Like, that look in their face. And and it it's, feels an awful lot like that. It's one of the like worst that. feelings in the world. I know, and like you can't you world. can't explain to the dog. Oh no, I didn't mean to do that. Like you can try your best, but yeah, it's it's that it's that sort of emotion. So you're right. You're right. Absolutely. And um, before we move on here, I just want to say that this this moral issue is what I think makes the story so compelling because they're granted you have the narration, but it's almost as if this is a visual story being told and the narration is simply there to connect some dots where it's necessary, but otherwise you are just getting a visual representation of the story. And I think that's what makes Mm -hmm. it even more powerful is that we're not bogged down by dialogue at this point we're just witnessing and i think that's what makes it so poignant as well mm-hmm. personally but 
Yeah. All right, let's move on to let's move on to the next section. It's going to be a very sliver, and then we're going to move into another question. As Ori and Sane are discussing their intentions to restore Nebel, Gumo overhears them and uses his clan's treasure, which is light stored from the spirit tree, to revive Naru. Naru, sorry, Japanese pronunciation. Naru. Gumo takes Naru to where Ori is. For me, at this point, this is where I realize that Moon Studios were fantastic at writing compelling and lovable characters while saying so little with dialogue. What were your thoughts, Josh, about how effortlessly the characters in this game can be so lovable and endearing? Yeah, no, you are you are absolutely right about how much character they're able to get across without dialogue, without because um, Gumo is just amazing, just one of the best characters, and like you you feel such a connection to them because they're another character who has you know gotten a really raw deal here um, in all the aftermath of. Um, you know of of the storm and, and and of the all the desolation from the tree being injured um and is you know scared at the beginning and you know shows up essentially as an enemy for the beginning you 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 think you know oh they're they're going to try to kill me um and then right that, seeing their actions as they start to realize that you're not there to hurt them more um is just amazing um it 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 is dude like i i remember because i just played it like maybe a month ago if that i remember when i first encountered gumo i was like god this character is annoying i was like just (laughs) messing up everything i'm trying to do like i was Mm -hmm. super annoyed by this character i was like man i hope this character doesn't last in this game for very long and then the the rock slide happens and then Mm -hmm. gumo's like Oh man, this creature's not trying to kill me. And you learn that this Gumo is the last remaining one. You learn that, oh, yeah. he's just trying to restore balance and order to what's happened here. And then he mm-hmm. becomes this kind of like blase character, which is like, oh, okay, I just kind of exist. And then turns into a oh, super lovable character. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And I was like, what the? F- what the hell? When did this happen? When did I start loving Gumo? And then you really, really start caring about Gumo, and it's so weird. And it just, like, the intro, obviously, they kind of demonstrate that, but when you when you go through this kind of, like, evolution of a relationship with Gumo in such a short time, and with such little a little amount of words, you're like, Jesus Christ, these guys are phenomenal at writing story like and character development man they just said, yeah. did such a good job and obviously it pays off much later in the game um at the end but damn like it's just it feels like it's effortless for them doesn't it it does i mean you made the comparison up before but that that whole wordless introduction to that movie is 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 really a good comparison here because uh there's it's it's a little strange because like we said before the tree can talk that's kind of our point of view character is the tree 
sort of, because, you know, Ori and the tree are still connected since it was, you know, spirit from that tree. Um, But for the most part, everything else is wordless. Um, And the way they're able to get across what each character is thinking, like, like, just the the motivation behind everything they're doing there is is crazy because like like you said gumo is just kind of getting in your way and slowing you down and seems like it's going to be an enemy as you go forward like oh man it's it's going to be a trap or something it's you know and going from that to them again sort of going off and doing their own thing but this time it's to help you um was really cool because it's 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 again showing that you know they've got their own thoughts going on it's not like oh all of a sudden they're right by your side they're a party member now or something like that it's they were a complicated character before they knew you were helping them and and still afterwards and i thought that was really cool i agree dude and it to me i i take away so much from when games like this do such a good job with character development i think about like I think about video games that try and pack in, especially RPGs that try and pack in this level of character development that just feels either hollow or forced or just inconsequential. Mm-hmm. And then I look at a game like this and I'm like, this game is like at most eight hours, 10 hours long for an average playthrough, but they manage to pack in so much character development without being tedious or making it feel awkward they just they do it so well and i just wish that there are some games or game developers that would take some notes from a studio like moon studios or an effort like ori in the blind forest and will of the wisps as well in mm-hmm. character development just take like a a master class from them because they they just do <laughs> such a a great job of it. And I just wish more studios kind of realize that character development doesn't need to be this incredible witty top of the chain dialogue. It just, it needs to be believable and sensible and real. And that's all you really need. And it's, I think that's, what's so important here. When you think about a character like Gumo is that we we kind of kind of I think that's what makes it so impactful and believable is we take a character like Gumo and we look at him and we say okay here like you said here's this character who is kind of a nuisance kind of possibly nefarious we don't know and then he evolves into this good character and he had this level of complexity that at your first viewpoint you don't understand but once you take the time and you understand the story behind this character and the motivation you learn so much and you realize that oh okay this character is not a bad character it just is a character that was motivated by something you didn't understand at the time and we can take that logic we can take that experience and we can approach it and then we can apply it to our own daily lives and i think that's something that really uh I mean, I'm sure it existed in the past, but I think especially now it's particularly important because we, in our daily lives, you know, we spend so much time 
digitally or through the cyber universe that we don't take as much time because we're either moving fast or we're like, oh, there's other people that I can be associating with, or I don't need to be associating with the people that I experience in my daily life, like my coworkers or people I see at the grocery store. And it's like when we see someone do something that's slightly annoying to us, where we don't sit there and we try and be empathetic and analyze. We just kind of are like, oh, this, guy, this guy's a dick or this woman's being a bitch, you know, like that's the level of sometimes I think we look at these things and i think games like this really can teach us about how we approach those kind of situations on our daily lives our mentalities mm-hmm. yeah yeah sorry yeah, I didn't mean yeah to get it, on my soapbox there <laughs> no no but i mean it's 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 right i mean i think there's a lot of parallels between like i mentioned it before but like between gumo and Kuro, like how they're both hurting from this thing, but just the reactions to it are uh, what kind of define the character. Um, yes. And I think Absolutely. that's a really interesting way to tell a story, like show how the same event has, you know, affected more than one character in, in your, in your story. Um, yeah, and obviously yeah. it's a fairly small scale on, you know, something like Ori, but uh, it's done so well. It's done just wonderfully. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think I think that's a theme that runs throughout this entire story, not just the Blind Forest, but Will of the Wisp too, is mm-hmm. when something happens, what defines a person is how they respond to it. And I think that was one of the overarching themes throughout this entire story and it's definitely something we're going to touch on later we're definitely going to touch on this later so we're definitely going to come back to that so Mm -hmm. let's let's progress with the story because we're almost done with the story of the blind forest the first half so ori and sane managed to restore the final element warmth in mount horu but they are captured by kuro as the volcano's fire starts to spread Naru arrives to protect Ori from Kuro. When Kuro sees Naru's motherly instinct and protection, she softens, remembering how pained she was when she lost her own children. As the fire continues to spread and almost reaches the remaining egg, Kuro returns sane to the spirit tree, which rids the forest of the fire and restores it. Sadly, Kuro is destroyed by the light emitted from the tree as well. As time passes, the forest begins again, growing and thriving. Ori watches more spirits being born from the tree. Gumo and Naru watch from afar, and they go home to see the remaining egg hatch. So here we see a tragic ending to a character that had a sense of redemption at the end. But Moon Studios sets the story up for a sequel. If you can remember, Josh, as you were wrapping up this game, what were your thoughts on how the ending unfolded? I really liked it. And again, I kind of feel like it leaned into the whole idea of... (sighs) 
you know the the tree is just a force of nature like because obviously Kuro is helping at the end to restore balance but is you know destroyed in the process because you know she'd kind of just you know destroyed the balance in the first place um it was tainted by it and so fixing it just kind of destroyed her um Right, which is uh, really kind of not something you go into a lot in um, in games. The whole any anyway, but um, I mean, it, it happens in a lot of other stories. But a lot of anyway, that 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 whole idea of I, th- I think you're saying it's particularly compelling off. here. Yeah, yeah, I think it's compelling here because. I think it kind of goes back to our initial or the initial question I had about the moral quandary of um, is the tree exacting revenge or justice? Is it a force of nature like you're saying? Or is it a kind of, and this would kind of um, expound upon that force of nature, is this a yin and yang approach, which clearly these guys are influenced by uh Loosely by Japanese lore and mythology with the names, I believe. I think I'm willing to make that jump there. Uh, <laughs> an assumption, but is this a yin and yang approach where um, Kuro's retaliation caused the loss of the Gumon tribe, save for Gumo, and, you know, devastated the forest? So, as an approach, is it to restore balance, even though Kuro you know, has redemption at the end, that's the way balance is truly restored. And, and it's interesting because it does play with that force of nature approach very heavily there. And I think that's, it's the whole game is predicated on that. So it makes it more compelling. It's not like a side story. Mm-hmm. It's not a byproduct. It is the story. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's, Trying to think, I don't want to get ahead and spoil anything from the second game because we're about to get to that. I know, I know, but yeah, I I, I think I think we kind of hit most of it there. But yeah, the whole idea of a redemption arc not really being enough sometimes was a really interesting way to end the story, and I thought that was really, really affecting. Um, yeah that it did yeah. end that way just show good it just shows that like even even if you do the right thing sometimes it doesn't pan out well for you but you still will help others and i, I think that was kind mm-hmm. of an important moral to take away that sometimes you have to sacrifice you you have to sacrifice your own needs your own desires your own frustrations to benefit others and in mm-hmm. some instances, because I'm not trying to tell anybody to forego your mental or physical health here, <laughs> never, ever condoning that. But there are times where you have to make those difficult choices in your life where you do have to sacrifice some of your own well-being for the well-being of others. Um, and it does benefit those others in the short term and the long term. And I think that's kind of. Also, I think that's more of a byproduct of 
what this story was trying to achieve. And it's, it is affecting. I, I thought it was particularly affecting here. But I do have to say that I was so, so happy. So, so happy to see that, like, there is some good that comes out of it, even though Gumo is the last of its kind. It's found a new home with Naru and Ori that uh, the, the unborn owl, you know, it's just lost its family, but it's recovered a home. Like, all these, all these, all four of these, well, three soon-to-be-four creatures are orphans. Like, we don't know mm-hmm. anything about Naru or where it comes from. We just know that it was alone. And then it um, took in the orphan Ori. And then they acquired Gumo. And then they acquired this egg that's about to hatch. And it's just like this family of orphans that came together through fortunate or unfortunate or ambiguous circumstances. And it's just, it's such a happy ending um, in a lot of ways. Obviously, it's not a perfectly happy ending, but it just made me feel warm and happy inside. I don't, I don't know if that's how you felt, but I, I was so happy to see yeah. like when Naru and Gumo are watching from afar. I was like, Oh, Gumo is still there. I'm so happy. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. And seeing Naru be revived and to come back, man, that was, that was so good. That was, yeah. I remember that. It just felt so right for Naru to keep living. It felt like, the story wasn't done there. And I think that's when I said at the beginning that there's a lot of similarities between this game and up in the way it starts out. This is where obviously itself sets itself so far apart is because then there's more story to tell there. And Mm -hmm. obviously we we get it, (laughs) but before we, before we descend into. Sorry, but oh God, it's kind of the opposite story. Cause on that one, the whole idea is instead of the story continuing and seeing how it, you know, moves on, like the whole idea is coming to terms with that story being over. Um, and, and, you know, <laughs> he fights it as hard as he can, um, mm. fights all the progress around him. He fights the idea that, you know, this one thing that they always wanted to do together is not going to happen. Fights that. Um, just it's 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 all about just kind of coming to terms with death in, in literal and and metaphorical ways. Um, just the different all the all the little deaths that you know are a part of losing somebody. Yeah. Um, and this one is kind of in a way it's similar, but it's told from a different perspective. It's, it's more like, um, you know, if, if there was way more focus on, uh, um, you know, just one of the ancillary characters there, just, um, any, anyway, it's, it's, yeah. Seeing how, yeah, that's dealt with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I think yeah, I think it's an important distinction to make there as we've kind of made the comparison for sure. And uh yeah, it's it's interesting to see how each game plays with the the uh the theme of death and how it affects the characters in their stories because it def- definitely plays out very very differently. Mhm. 
So what would you say is the strongest aspect of Ori and the Blind Forest? Like, was it the mechanics of the game? Was it the music? Was it the art direction? Was it character development? What would you say was the strongest aspect for you in the first game? I, I mean, the story is really strong. That's kind of why I kept going at the beginning, because it, it starts a little slow, just from a mechanic standpoint. But... yeah. Once you get the ability to um, return projectiles and, you know, bounce off of them in the opposite direction, that mechanic is just so ridiculously strong um, Yeah, that I still, it, it stands out. Like, it stood out the entire the entire weight between the first and second games, like, oh, I need something that has just a standout mechanic like this, something that's just going to make the platforming feel that amazing. Like, just a tool set that is um, just going to be so satisfying to use. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah. Yeah. That, I think that was it for me, was that, that, that mechanic. Interesting. Because... I'll I'll try not to go too much into it because obviously I think it's it goes into the second game. That mechanic was important for me in the first game, but I wasn't as high on it in the first game as I was in the second game. I think for me it was probably very much so the character development. The art style really drew me in to want to play the game in the first place. Uh the music mm-hmm. Obviously, is very well done. The audio production. There's, it's very, very difficult to say anything bad about the game, for me. But the character development and the story, um, those kind of go hand in hand for me. Were really what kept me wanting to go into the into this game, because I wanted to know. I was like, yeah. is is Naru coming back? Like, why why is this owl being such a jerk? Like what's going to happen with Gumo Ori? Like what's Ori going to do? And I was so compelled because of all these characters, their development, the story, what they, what was unfolding. It just, yeah, it was super compelling for me. And I didn't, I didn't want the game to end because I was like, when when the game ended, I was like, no, 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 no. There's (laughs) more story here to tell, which I was so happy I'm in a way I'm very very happy I waited to play this game until right before the second one released because <laughs> um is to me it's kind of like binging like I I've become such a binger in in my life now mm-hmm. that I was able to binge the first game I didn't have to wait that long and then I was able to binge the second game and it just worked out for me being the kind of person I am and uh yeah just the, that story dude in the first game that story's so f- freaking good and i did not expect that i didn't i did not expect yeah. that at all i thought people were high on it because of the art direction not because of the story yeah it's one of those but yeah it, it's one of those weird cases where it's it, it, there's so much strong you know basically every part of the game that uh picking picking one thing saying like oh this this is this is the the reason why the game is so great is is kind of really selling the rest of it short um yeah like there's just there's so yeah, much to love there yeah absolutely uh, it's yeah it's it's hard to pick one thing 
but I know that I know for me, like generally when I play a game, there's one thing that stands out to me above all else. And that's what keeps me going mm-hmm. when it's playing a game for like dead space. It was like the mechanics and the weapons or sorry to bring that game up again, but I mentioned it mm-hmm. before with Bioshock. It was the compelling story and the atmosphere that the game I guess that's yeah. two things, but the atmosphere that it <laughs> um, developed for this game for me was is the game or the story and the character development. But yeah, the rest of the game phenomenal, and th- don't let us pick one picking one thing shortchange the rest of the game because the rest of the game is damn good. Yeah, yeah, like I, yeah, um, like as far as you know, extremely unique mechanics and stuff like that. There have been a few games since then that have come out and be like, oh, wow, that's, that's, that's a really novel idea. That's really, that's really neat. Um, but didn't have the rest of it. So it's just, it's not become, you know, something as ingrained in my memory. It's, it's, it's the whole package is what is kind of made it just stand the test of time and, and made it, um, you know, something I'm always going to think highly of. Um, yeah, I agree with that. Because yeah. I think this game obviously has been influenced by its predecessors, but I definitely think, as, as we talked about last week on the Chomcast, it's influenced a lot of games subsequently. Um, a lot of Metroidvania games. Mm-hmm. Uh, I played a game, I think it was last year, Seasons After Fall, which came out one year after Ori and the Blind Forest, clearly influenced by Ori and the Blind Forest. Um, in some regards, and I think Hollow Knight was influenced. Uh, I think I think there are a host of Metroidvania-style games that have been influenced by Ori and the Blind Forest. And oh yeah, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I could. I I can't make that statement. I, in some ways, I like Ori much better than Hollow Knight, and I compare it to Hollow Knight because Hollow Knight was is I think up there for one of my favorite Metroidvania games of all time. Mm-hmm. In some ways I like, and this is both games. Uh, I'm going to lump them together. The Ori series. I like Ori in some regards yeah. better than hollow Knight, and then vice versa. But yeah, it's yeah. This game, this game is so, so good in so many different ways. So many different ways. Yeah. But Let's end this segment with one final question, Josh. Do you think that it is necessary for people interested in Ori and the Will of the Wisps to play Ori and the Blind Forest first? Hmm. I think so. I, from From the story perspective, a lot of it is context but not strictly necessary to understanding what's going on so i don't think you need it so much for the story however uh it 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 does a good job of having two fully fully separate stories that i feel are kind of they're definitely better having having seen both halves but they stand on their own well enough um, the reason I would say you kind of do need to play the first one though, is that, um, the mechanics, like I said, they, they don't really teach you an awful lot about 
your capabilities in the second one about your initial set of moves. Like you just have the ability to double jump and to uh, uh, return projectiles right at the beginning of the game. And they don't really tell you about that as I recall. Although I'm, who knows, maybe I'm completely forgetting about this, but I, I don't think they, they may have, they may have popped something up and I just blew by it, but it's, it's not like emphasized um i don't remember it being like some of the basic mechanics mechanics being too emphasized either i felt like i got more context to a lot of the new abilities and new moves from the second mm-hmm. game and I, I felt like as if that a they expected you to have already played the first one so you're going to come into the second one but b also to kind of make it a little bit more of an old school style game where you just figure it out as you go along as well i think that was yeah. kind of what they were going for there those two yeah concepts. yeah and i think that's good the 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 big reason and i again don't want to get into spoilers but the ending of the second game is a whole lot more meaningful having played the first one um it's still a good ending otherwise but there's just there's so much more you're going to get out of it having played the first one um that I, that I would suggest yes. playing it first. I think I'd agree with you. I, I don't think it's quote-unquote necessary. Like, you will be completely lost if you have not played the first one. I don't think that at all. I think, like you said, they do stand alone, and I think, you know, they're great games if you separate the two and it's just one game or another game. They're both phenomenal mm-hmm. games. But you're absolutely right, and I think about how the story plays out and the character development plays out in Will of the Wisps. And if I had not played the first one, I don't think I would have vaguely because we haven't gone into it yet. I don't think that the way the story develops and how it develops for certain characters would have been near as impactful for me. And like you said, the ending is almost assuredly not going to be near as impactful if you haven't played the first one. Almost Mm -hmm. assuredly, because, yeah, that ending of the second one, but. Yeah, I so I think I kind of our consensus here is no, it's not necessary, but you definitely should play the first one yeah. before you play and finish the second one for sure. Yeah, it's because... it's like you won't be lost. You won't be lost by any stretch of the imagination, but you won't be getting the whole picture either. So exactly, exactly. So that's our diagnosis or prognosis or whatever gnosis. <laughs> that we're gonna go with for it's that mitosis but <laughs> and meiosis <laughs> <laughs> all right ori in the blind forest